tameness leads to lameness. Some of you guys, it's okay to do something a little different here, right? So we got the tables up. We have to buy more tables now, and so uh, that's a good thing. But uh, if you're having a, I was going to say, if you're having a problem finding a seat, it looks like everyone has a seat so far. So we'll, uh, we'll keep working, working the problem. Work, overcome and adapt. Isn't that the uh, special forces thing? So we'll just keep working with that. So um, if you don't know what's going on here, so we, uh, we, I'm not sure I totally know what's going on here, but we are, we're looking at um, how to read the Bible supernaturally. We, I, we always have wanted to, we always want to be a church that's powerful in word and spirit. And so we don't want to just, you know, the, there's that old saying, um, all, what is it? Uh, all word and no spirit, you dry up. All spirit and no word, you blow up. Spirit and word, you grow up. And so that's what we want to do. We want to have like both wings of the airplane, word and spirit. And so how many of you guys realize the Bible's kind of a weird book? Like, like you read it and you're like, what in the world? Like, how is this supposed to apply to me? So we want to take some time, a couple weeks, and really help you dig into that with the Holy Spirit, not just with our brains. We're not trying to turn this into a seminary or a Bible college, but we want to help you uh, really get into the Word uh, yourself. And so we're actually, um, we're thinking about, so uh, keeping the tables up for maybe the whole year, and uh, we're going to do one more week on how to read the Bible, and then we're going to actually go through the book of Revelation together, not kidding. So... Couple of warnings. <laughs> About eight years ago, I started teaching on the book of Revelation, and people got so fascinated with the symbolism and the meanings of things instead of getting fascinated with Jesus, and so I quit teaching the series. We made it to about chapter four. And so the book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ, not a revelation of the Antichrist. Yeah. Just a spoiler alert the word Antichrist isn't mentioned in the book of Revelation. In the second verse, he says, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a big hint to how to interpret it, okay? So we're looking at how to read the Bible, so I thought, why not how model it for us, and let's just go ahead and read the book of Revelation together. I'll be giving you some things that you can do uh, to prepare for the next week. It's not really homework. It's just some notes to help you with the things that we're talking about, and if you, if you miss a week and you don't get it, you'll, it'll still make sense. I'll still be teaching it. You'll still learn how to apply a book that was written in the first century. We'll still be doing all that together, so if you don't read it, you don't study it at all, you'll still be able to come and get benefit, but if you'd like to kind of roll up your sleeves, I think it, it could be a fun thing, so... Um. But if, you guys, if, if it starts getting off into conspiracy theories and trying to set dates for the return of Christ and all this foolishness, like Jesus doesn't even know the date of his return. Only the Father knows. And so for people that try to guess it, it just bewilders me. Okay? And so there was actually a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. You guys remember that? He sold millions of dollars worth of copies. I was going to buy one just for fun, but like the cheapest copy was $50. I'm like, I'm not wasting $50 on that garbage. But was, what was a classic, though, is um, in case you didn't know, Jesus did not come back in 1988. He literally wrote a book the next year, 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1989. I'm like, are you serious? Like, I, I don't know. I guess, you know, people are people. Are people. And so here's what I want to do. I want to do a quick icebreaker because I, I realize um, a lot of people didn't get to know anybody at their tables last time. And so, uh, big oversight. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to talk about what is the worst thing you've seen on the news this past week. I'm kidding. <laughs> we are not going to be talking about the news, okay? We're going to be focusing on something that's eternal and unchanging. I want you guys to realize that heaven is not hopeless. They're not up there like, oh my goodness, there's censorship, the liberals, the, the conservatives, what's happening, and big tech, and insurrections, and guys, heaven's not up there biting their nails. 
Okay, there's been way worse things happen throughout history, and Jesus is still Lord. But here's what, uh, here's what we read in the book of Revelation, uh, um, is that uh, we're, we're actually going to win in the end, that the glory of God will cover the earth as waters cover the sea, that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God. But here's how it works in the kingdom. It starts as a little seed, then it becomes the biggest plant in the garden and provides shade and food for everyone. So that's what we're here doing is transform people, transform cities. And so I think, I just feel like the book of Revelation has got a lot of hope for us. I feel like we need to feast on the majesty of Jesus and the finished work of the cross. You're going to see the, uh, the book of Revelation is actually seven different visions at seven different angles of the finished work of Christ and applies it in the middle of a dark world. And so it's, uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. So uh, here's your icebreaker. I forgot to write one down. I just wrote down the word icebreaker. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, okay, Lord, reveal to me this icebreaker. I feel like that's a lot of pressure to have an awesome icebreaker. Why don't you introduce yourself and just say, what's your favorite place to vacation? All right, so I'll see you in a minute or two, and then we're going to go ahead and jump into this. We've got three seats at a table down here and another three over here. Make sure everyone's uh, getting the talk in case an extrovert went first. All right, take about another 30 seconds. 
All right, let's start to bring it back together here. Those of you watching online, there's going to be a handout somewhere in the description, somewhere on the comments where you can click on it so you can follow along. There'll be some exercises. And so uh, I encourage you to get those. Um, about half of it is uh, 2 Timothy for a reading for homework. So don't be intimidated that we're going to go through all this this morning, but we're going to uh, do our best. You guys ready? All right, let me set the context here. And so this, I'm gonna, I just want to review a little bit, and then we're going to jump into some new stuff. Uh, so we went over these last week, but I want to hit them again. Uh, the, uh, we got a slide for these. The goal of all Bible reading is to meet the author. Okay, the goal of Bible writing, reading is not to equip you to debate people who believe differently. Amen. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that one needed a little bit more for uh, anyone who's ever been on Facebook. Okay. Uh, Bible reading should lead to Bible experiences. These aren't just great theories, great hypotheses, higher thoughts for a living. No, this is actually a, a, an invitation. Uh, every verse in the Bible is an invitation to an encounter. Uh, we're going to look at that verse in just a second. Uh, the Bible is God speaking. Our reading is us listening and ready to respond. Okay, actually, the, in the, um, uh, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The, uh, the idea of hearing is hearing with the intent to obey. Okay, so you're not just reading, oh, this is interesting. i got to get the chapter a day in here. It's actually, God, I'm listening, I'm reading, ready for, to be shaped by you. And our last one, reading the Bible is a conversation between you and the author. We're going to look at um, biblical meditation. We're going to see if we can levitate off the ground about two feet. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to look at that next week or next time. And the, uh, some of you are like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, go for it, whatever, all right? And so the... Um, it's a conversation. So one of the pictures of biblical meditation is actually a dialogue between you and God. It's like you're reading and you're talking to him about it. You're listening. He's shaping your thoughts, giving you pictures. So uh, that's just to set the context. John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. This is Jesus speaking. These are red letters in your Bible. He said this to the Pharisees. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Okay, it's in, so it's in, the, it's in the written word that we meet Jesus, the living word. All right, so let's just real quick review. Um, here's what we talked about last time. The Bible is a unique book because it is a book that has a divine side and a human side, right? And so a divine side, it was the Holy Spirit who inspired these writers. It wasn't just them kind of collecting their normal thoughts. The Holy Spirit was superintending it. But it was um, the human side. It was actual humans. They didn't become dictation machines where they just, the Spirit possessed their whatever they wrote with, I don't know, on papyrus and quills, I don't know what they wrote with. And so they, uh, the Spirit didn't just possess them and they wrote it. It was actually their language, their vocabulary, their circumstances that they were in. And so, um, uh, so on the divine side, two ways that you know the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in a text is, number one, do you have a question? These aren't in your notes yet, I'm just reviewing. Is not, number one, do I have a question? So how many of you guys have ever been reading the Bible and all of a sudden you have a question that comes up, Right? That's the Holy Spirit is inspiring the question because he wants to give you the answer. Because people who don't have questions don't recognize the answers when they come. The second way is you're reading something and did it stick out to me? You're reading it and you're like, man, there's something juicy on there. I just don't know what it is. Revelation hits your spirit and your mind plays catch up. Okay? And so those are two ways the Holy Spirit speaks. Do I have a, you're reading something. Do I have a question? Did something stick out? Um, the human side um, is that God spoke to us through a book, so we need to read it like an actual book. Right? You wouldn't, you, um, so, uh, you know, it wasn't written originally in English. We'd need to recognize, you know, these people thought a little bit differently than us. 
manners and customs in the Bible or some things that they just did differently than us. We don't need to become an expert in history or geography, but just recognize, you know what, There's a, we have to bridge the gap on some of these things. And the final exercise we did is uh, saw how, you know, it can be helpful to have a little bit of information to orient you to what time period it was in, what was going on. So we looked at some helpful aids to help you read the Bible because the Bible was, written, uh, was not written to you, but it was written for you. We're going to see in the book of Revelation, it was actually written to seven churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. So it had to mean something to them. A lot of people are reading the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other, trying to, trying to interpret all these prophecies. Um, that's not how you read the Bible. It actually meant something back then. But we can't just stay in the first century. We have to find out what does it mean to us today. So we're going to go over that a little bit later. You guys good? All right. I know this is a lot. So let's, uh, let's, today I want to continue the idea of how to read a book. You're like, Jim, I know how to read a book. We're going to make you a, a better. So we're going to look at help you become a better reader of the Bible. If the Bible is a book, we have to read it like a book. You guys okay? I know this is different, but this is training. We're putting swords and spears in the hands of champions. This is a terrorist training camp to destroy the works of the devil. All right? So the Bible is your sword, and let's never go to bed without blood on our sword. Come on. All right, so becoming a better reader. First thing we're going to do, you got to prepare to read. Okay? And so what I like to do is I like to slow down. You know, instead of just like, oh, my goodness, I'm super, super rushed. I only got five minutes. Let's see how fast I can read in five minutes. I've done that before, and I've got nothing out of it. But you feel good because you check the religious box. We're not looking to check a religious box. Okay? I'm not saying you have to spend hours every single day. Okay, this may sound like heresy. I'm not even saying you have to read the Bible every day. Jesus didn't read the Bible every day. They didn't have a printing press back then. <laughs> they had scrolls in a temple that they heard read on the, uh, on the Sabbath day when they went there, which was a Saturday. How are we doing? All right, so what they did is they would memorize the word of God. They would take it and they would meditate on it every single day. They would think about it. They would allow it to shape their thoughts. But they didn't have this religious thing of I've got to get reading these things. So what I'm challenging you to do is learn how to read it better. And uh, I'm not saying don't read it every day. I'm saying don't don't make it this religious thing. The point is not to read the Bible. The point is to encounter the author. And so I found it helpful to be able to slow down and... um, and uh, so, the, so I pray something like this. Holy Spirit, you're the one who wrote this book. I need you to reveal it to me. Okay, the, the, uh, it says all of these things are hidden in a realm called mystery, and it needs the Holy Spirit to reveal them. That's what we looked at last time. It's a picture, I keep doing this because revealing is this picture of like a curtain. You can't see what's behind the curtain until it's lifted, until it's unveiled. All right, interesting note. Um, the, the, uh, the book of Revelation is called the book of Revelation, right? It's actually the, the uh, New Testament word for it is apocalypse. Ap- apo means to lift. Um, kalepto means to reveal. And so the, uh, Re- the book of Revelation is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? Man, we'll get... But we're not here to talk about that yet. Oh, there's so much good stuff in there. You can't even believe it. I'm about to go nuts. Oh, it's, it's so glorious. And so I like to set a time. You know, I think, um, well, I don't have time to read the Bible. Nobody does. That's why you have to make time. And so, uh, so here's what I want to do. I want to help us just do a little exercise with this. We're going to slow down. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit. And if you look on about page two, you're going to see there's a couple. It starts with a couple different translations of Psalm 23. Do you guys see that? What I want you to do is I want you to take a few minutes and just read through those different translations. But before you do, I want you to slow down. 
And the Holy Spirit, you know, you know what I'm talking about. There's this rushy thing. There's this hurriedness on the inside. That's not going to be helpful. Take a deep breath if you need to. You don't need to chant om, but just take a deep breath and maybe just say, Holy Spirit, you're the one who wrote this book. I need you to reveal it to me. And then when you're ready to go ahead and start. So are there any questions on the instructions? All right, go ahead and start reading. And as you're reading, look for the differences in the way that the different translations state it. And see which translation you like best. And see which translation has better word pictures. Okay, stop for a second. (laughs) That wasn't actually a real activation. What I wanted you to see is how hard it is to read with a bunch of interruptions. How many of you got that point? All right, we'll get to Psalm 23 in a second, but I wanted to make the point, you need to set aside a time without interruptions. How many of you need to practice forgiveness for what I just did to you? Like, dumb, stupid, just wish he'd shut up. All right, second point, you got to make it your own book. And so uh, this helps you be an active reader, okay? So this is where you're, you're, uh, you're like a detective looking for clues. How many of you are, uh, it's okay to write in your Bibles? I remember I was sitting next to this, I was at my pastor's church, and there was this, uh, I was sitting next to this guy, and there was this lady who was super religious next to him, and I, uh, the guy was a newer believer, and he, um, he went to, he was trying to, you know, he'd seen people highlight their Bibles, but he didn't bring a highlighter, he brought a marker. I guess it was like his first time doing it, and so he really liked the passage. He found the passage that um, my pastor was reading, and <laughs> <laughs> and he took the marker and he tried to highlight it, but it like crossed it out. And the, and, the, and the lady next to him, she's like, if you don't like what it says, you shouldn't just cross it out. I'm like, oh my word, he was trying to highlight it, okay? <laughs> Writing down things, okay, so we're just talking about a couple of these things. There's, there's different ways to mark the text, to make it shown, as you're becoming an active reader. Underlining, you can underline whole sentences, major points, forceful statements, Okay, um, how many of you have one of those Bibles where there's, um, uh, it's more underlining or more highlighting than like non-underlining, right? So nothing's highlighted because everything's highlighted, right? I love those Bibles, I'm going to be honest with you. Vertical lines or brackets in the margin, you can like, hey, this section, you kind of do one of those things. Stars, asterisks, other doodads. Um, I encourage you, use these sparingly. You know, you want to turn this into like a, you know, fifth grade art project here. Um, numbers in the margin, sometimes if an uh, author's making a point, you can kind of do the sequence. You guys, you don't have to do these. I'm just giving you some suggestions, all right? Cross-references. Some Bibles have these automatically, but some of them don't. And sometimes it's nice when you're reading to go, you know what? I remember reading over here where it talked about that, over in 1 Corinthians 15.5. And you can kind of write 1 Corinthians 15.5. Just kind of make your own little cross-references. Circling keywords or phrases. It's the same thing as underlining. Kind of serves the same function. Here's what I like to do with with circling or underlining. I used to underline the whole thing, and uh, it just... You know, it just was like too much. So rather than underline the whole sentence, what if you just underlined the word or couple of words? See, if I underline a sentence, it tells me that it's important. If I just underline the word or phrase, it tells me why it was important. Okay? And so just maybe try that. All right. Uh, Writing in the margin or at the top of the Bible, maybe recording a revelation. The Lord's giving you a word picture. It's making you think of something. You can just go ahead and write it right there in the margin. Um, Dates and circumstance. Sometimes if a verse is particularly meaning in life, meaningful to me, I'll put a date next to it and put why. Like, this spoke to me because I was going through this hot garbage, right? Or whatever, you know, whatever the circumstance is. It's like, you know, the Lord, yeah. You guys get it? 
All right. Another way to become a better reader is you're going to learn to live with a pencil and a notebook. In other words, a way to record your questions in Revelation. So as you begin to read the Bible and God begins to reveal things to you, here's what, I'm, here's what I know to be true. God will give you revelation at the most inopportune moments. Like when you're sitting there reading, I don't typically get tons of revelation then. It's almost like it primes the pump, but it's like when I'm going through my day, I'm pumping gas, and all of a sudden, whew, he reveals something. It's like, oh, oh my gosh, that's what that meant. And I think I said this last time, the shortest pencil's better than the longest memory. You need to like send an email to yourself on your phone, put it in your notes section, your phone, carry a notebook and write it down. But I believe this is part of stewarding revelation and anything in the kingdom that gets stewarded multiplies and increases. So if you're like, oh yeah, I'll remember that, you're not gonna remember that. It's like, it's like people who don't write down their dreams and then they stop having dreams. Why? Because they weren't stewarding what God gave them. So if you wanna have more dreams, repent for not stewarding your dreams and say, God, I'll, I'll, help me, I'll wanna help me steward these and he'll begin to give you more dreams. And as you write down those dreams, he'll give you more dreams. Yeah. All right. Read it, number four, a uh, way to become a better reader, read it like a love letter. Okay, how many of you guys have ever read the book, How to Read a Book by Mortimer Adler? Anyone ever read that book? Are you serious? I thought everyone had read this book. Okay. <laughs> I think it was written in like the 1920s or something like that. And they had this newspaper advertisement and had a picture of this guy, and he's leaning against this, uh, leaning against this wall, and uh, he's, he's reading this letter, and he's got this awesome look on his face. Here's the caption for the advertisement for how to, read a, how to read a book, okay? This man has just received his first love letter. He may have read it three or four times, but he is just beginning. To read it more accurately as he would like, he will ponder over the exact shade of meaning of every word, every comma. She has headed the letter, Dear John. What, he asks himself, is the exact significance of those words? Did she refrain from saying dearest because she was bashful? Would my dear have sounded too formal? Jeepers. Okay, this is written back in the 20s. Jeepers. Maybe she would have said dear so-and-so to anybody. A worried frown will now appear on his face, but it disappears as soon as he really gets to thinking about the first sentence. She certainly wouldn't have written that to just anybody. And so he works his way through the letter. One moment perched blissfully on a cloud, the next moment huddled miserably behind an eight ball. It has started a hundred questions in his mind. He could quote it by heart. In fact, he will to himself for weeks to come. The advertisement concludes, if people read books with anything like this same concentration, we'd be a race of mental giants. What kind of spiritual giants would be, would be with that kind of eagerness and intensity of that man reading a love letter? I don't think I need to say any more. That is just powerful. Um, Acts 17, 11, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character because they argued with everybody about the interpretation. No, that's not what it says. <laughs> now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, the stupid Thessalonians, right? <clears throat> For they received the message. What made them more noble? For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. I like to say this, a lot of people think they're noble Bereans, but they're just negative brethren. Just because you're, I don't know about this, that's not being a noble Berean. The noble Bereans were eagerly received it. Could what Paul says be true? Guys, if the Bible said, okay, if God is still doing miracles today, that would be really good news. 
there's a large branch of the church that says, ah, this isn't for today. And they just cut out whole parts of the Bible and they think they're being noble Bereans. They're not being noble Bereans. They should eagerly search the scriptures and say, could this be true? This would be incredible news. I like this quote from Bill Johnson. When it comes to reading scripture, it's best to read it hungry. It is irresponsible to take the great promises of Scripture and put them off into a time period for which we have no responsibility. A lot of people take them and put them in this uh, time period called the millennium, which, by the way, is only in, it's only mentioned three times in two verses of Scripture in the book of Revelation. Maybe we need to have a little bit of humility on what the millennium means. Like, literally, I have people, I, I mean, they're like, What's your view on the millennium? Like, this is going to determine whether or not they come to Zion. I'm like, seriously? Your view of the millennium, which is so obscure, how is that going to affect how you're living on Monday, but you're willing to divide over what the millennium means? Hashtag stupid. (laughs) These are not reasons to divide, okay? The things that God shouts, we shout. The things he whispers, we whisper. He's mentioning the millennium three times in two verses. That's a whisper. Jesus Christ is the only way to God. He shouts that throughout Scripture. The Bible is the inspired word of God. He shouts it. He's coming back for a bride without spot. He shouts it. His initial is uh, speaking in tongues, the initial physical evidence of the, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Whispered. Not worth dividing over. How we doing? All right. We have a, uh, I, I never understood those people who had pets and um, acted like they were part of the family until, <laughs> until we got my little Ellie, my Lele Alejandro, my baby princess, and so, uh, baby face. And so, um, you know, she's, uh, she has this, I don't know, some kind of animal instinct though. But when she, well, like, a lot of times, uh, Mary gets her like the coolest toys. And she instantly recognizes that it's a toy, especially like a stuffed animal type toy, you know, especially like the squeaker on the inside. And, you know, she tears it apart so she gets the squeaker. But, and so I, <laughs> um, I, I shoot a lot of videos and I've got a bookshelf in my background. So I've got some geeky stuff. I've got, I now have a uh, Vegeta doll from um, Dragon Ball Z. I'm sorry, action figure. I've got Superman, I've got some Batman stuff, I've got Yoda, I've got Chewbacca on there. Anyway, and so I had this Yoda stuffed animal, and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to put something else in there. And as I picked up the stuffed animal, Ellie is on high alert. She's like, is this a new toy? And I'm like, Ellie, you can't have this toy, you know, it's it's not a... But her hunger (laughs) and her persistence, I ended up giving it to her. And if you could have seen, I mean, like my little sweet Ellie turned into this feral beast. I mean, I mean, she's just kind of flicking it around and everything. It was just so cute. There's a picture in Isaiah of a person meditating, and he uses the analogy of a dog and a bone. Okay? Guys, if we began to read the Bible with the same passion of a dog for a bone, of Ellie for a little baby Yoda. That's all I'm saying. Okay, we're getting ready to do an activation here. Um, read the Bible as if you're reading it for the first time. Okay? How many of you here, you used to be a cessationist, which means you believe the gifts of the Spirit had ceased, they were no longer for today, maybe you still do, but, but with a caveat, but now you believe they're for today. How many were raised, the gifts of the Spirit aren't for today, but now you're raised, okay. Here's, here's some of you are like, I'm not sure, <laughs> all right, okay, it's okay. Um, 
Here's a, how many of you had a view of God that he was angry, ready to judge America at any second, ready to judge you at any second? He was just about ticked off with you, but now you're realizing he judged Jesus instead. How many of you had your view of God changed? Okay. If we read the Bible and we already think we know what it's going to say, we've cut ourselves off from any further revelation. So I'm gonna, this is going to be a little bit of a weird illustration, but... Um, it's, it's a long way, but I wanted to tell a story. So I went on a, a missions trip to Uganda. I think it was 2018. And so uh, it was, it was, it was a, maybe it was 2017. It was, it was a tough trip. You know? So we're out in this village sleeping in tents. And um, the year before, there was no, uh, no place to go to the restroom except for a hole in the ground. <clears throat> and so this next year, we brought a potty tent. And so there was this little tent. Uh, when I mean little, I mean little. And uh, with a little tripod, with a little bag that you could go to the bathroom on. And that became the most valuable thing on the trip to me. Because going over the hole in the ground, there was like this uh, cement room with a hole in the ground. And you could smell the smell of a thousand generations in there. (laughs) And so the pot, me having a super sniffer, I'm like, really, that's my superpower is a super sniffer. I would rather have a lot of other things like invulnerability. And so uh, regeneration. And so... um, uh, anyway, so the potty tent was life from the dead for me. It was just awesome. And so, <laughs> is the time up for that story already? Okay. <laughs> and so someone had prophesied, Jim, there's going to be a great storm, and you're going to have authority over the weather. I'm like, oh, great. There's a bunch of pressure for that thing. And so um, we're sleeping, and this storm comes through, and it wipes out. So we picture, picture a bunch of tents. It, the storm floods out our tents like washes them away, standing water. And so it's like three in the morning. So we start a fire, or maybe it's like midnight. We start a fire and so we're like, just, you know, trying to dry out the sleeping bags without catching them on fire, which by the way, is a delicate balance. <laughs> so they could have, you know, sleep on something dry. And so we, we you know, it takes us about three hours. We, it's like three in the morning now, we're back in bed, we're exhausted. And all of a sudden another storm starts. And someone says, hey, Jim, didn't someone prophesy? I was like, oh my gosh leave me alone. And so I just pretending like I couldn't hear. And they're like, a storm's coming. Jim, do something. I'm like, just stop it. And all of a sudden, the, uh, the wind is picking up. And you can see the lightning coming. I'm trying to pretend like I can't see it. And, um, and someone says, oh, no, the potty tent's about to blow away. <laughs> Zip. <laughs> no lie. I said, all right, that's it. <laughs> and so uh, my friend Mark was with me. I don't know why we did this. God honored it anyway. I said, if we're going to do it, let's do it. I said, wonder twin powers, activate. I don't know why we did this. We held fists together on one side, held our hands toward the storm, and rebuked it. No kidding. It is coming towards us. It stops and goes 90 degrees and doesn't come near us. Yeah. Yay, God. One of the coolest and geekiest things I've ever done. Difficult trip, so we're exhausted. You know, we're eating like fish head stew, no kidding, um, goat, which you're like, what does goat taste like? It tastes like a mixture of meat and charcoal briquette. <laughs> so, we're, you know, we're just, you know, we're just doing all this stuff. So, we're, you know, we're tired. So, the plane ride back is like 34 hours. Okay. And, <clears throat> and so, uh, I remember I'm exhausted, you know, I'm probably malnourished, you know, and da da da. And so, the, um, I remember the, the waitress, the, the stewardess comes and she's like, um, Uh, excuse me, sir, Uh, you've been selected for an upgrade to first class on the way home. You don't even understand international first class. 
Like you go from like, you know, like in the middle seat, like eating like a velociraptor with your elbows touching <laughs> to now I can lay like in a bed. I've got my own pod. I've got a television with like surround sound, basically. It was incredible. Okay, guys, the upgrade was life-changing. I say all this to say this. God is inviting you into major upgrades with him. You may be weary. You may feel battle-drawn. You may be freaking out about the world news. I would encourage you, feast on a different realm, not this realm. Okay? But guys, through scripture, you have unlimited upgrades of your views with God, of your experience with God, of your experience of the things that are promised. Who in here would not want an, who in here wants an upgrade? Then meet the living word and the written word. Okay? And so here's what I want to do. I want you to reread those five tips for becoming a better reader, and I want you to begin to apply them to the reading of Psalm 23 in the different translations below. Okay? So there's uh, the New International Version, the English Standard Version, the Message, New Living Translation, and the Passion. So I'm going to give you about 10 minutes for this. The goal is not to get through all the translations. The goal is to make sure that you slow down long enough for something to stick out to you, or for you to get a question. If you get a question, just go ahead and write it next to it. If something sticks out to you, maybe use one of the techniques to underline, star, whatever, okay? So I'm going to give you about 10 minutes for that, and then I'm going to give you a chance to um, discuss in your groups what, uh, what was highlighted to you or what questions did you have. We're not looking for sermons. We're not looking for right answers, just how the text is hitting you. Any questions on the instructions? All right, let's take about 10 minutes. Slow down first with the Holy Spirit. Go through them. I'm not going to interrupt you this time.
Two minute warning. All right, that's time. How many of you are wrestling with pride because you finished faster than reading than some of the other people at your table? Anybody wrestling with that? Quick funny story that has nothing to do with anything. Um, <clears throat> so my kids went, uh, went to like a public online homeschool, two of them did, and so they had to do these standardized uh, tests. And I remember, um, <laughs> I'm not gonna say which one because I don't wanna embarrass Joshua, but um, <clears throat> they, had the, they had this standardized test and Joshua was very competitive. And so they had a standardized test, and so, um, you know, it was like, they had to like take it like three days in a row or whatever. And so we're like, Joshua, how do you think you did? He's like, I don't know, but I finished first. And so <laughs> he graduated just fine. Okay. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take three minutes and just talk about uh, at your tables, what was highlighted to you or stuck out to you in Psalm 23? What was highlighted or stuck out to you in Psalm 23? And so you're going to each have about 30 seconds to talk. So uh, keep it moving.
more, one more minute. All right, 15 second warning. More time. My bride has requested more time, so two more minutes. Fifteen second warning. All right, let's bring it back together. And if you're watching us online, I encourage you to go ahead and put your uh, answers in the chat. You guys can just start a, um, a, a group right there online. I should have said that earlier. So we got one more activation coming up here. All right, let's bring it back together. Number six, read as if you don't know the end of the story. Again, like I said, when you already think you know what it's going to say, you cut yourself off from further revelation. I've given you an activation for that one. You guys can do that one at home. Number seven, read the Bible as if the experiences recorded in there could happen to you today. We have to read it as if if we were in that position, God could have used us in the same way. Because if the truth doesn't come home to us, we can read the Bible as if it's unreal. 
All right, some of you guys. Thank you. Thank you. If the truth doesn't come home to us, we will read the Bible as if it were unreal. And we begin to read it like it's a book of doctrines, like it's a book about God, where you can study endlessly without actually encountering God himself. And so the same, the same kind of attitude that the religious leaders of Jesus' day had. Remember John 5, 39, we read it already. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. All right, number eight, choose a good translation. So we're gonna, uh, this will be the last activation we're going to do, and then we're going to have some worship. So the uh, Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew. There was a couple parts of Daniel and the book of Ezra that were written in Aramaic, and the New Testament was written in Greek. So that means anything that you're reading is in a translation. And so there is uh, pretty much three different ways you can translate. The goal of a translation is that Scripture might be understood. And so it's like, which way is the best way to translate? Okay, I'm going to go through the three different ways with you. All of them have their place, and so the wise Bible readers can incorporate all the different ways into their Bible study. Okay, I would encourage you, as you're studying the Bible, reads lots of different translations. I'm going to give you an activation where you get to look at a whole bunch of them, and you can see the variety, but it's the same message. Here's the three ways the Bible, um, the different kind of approaches to translating the Bible. One is a literal translation. This is where they strive to stay as close to the original wording, uh, yet still make sense to the people who are reading it, right? So as the translator attempts to uh, preserve the original word order and the sentence structure, here's the problem, is sometimes in Greek and Hebrew, like the verbs put at the end of a sentence and those type of things. So when you're reading a literal translation, it feels a little bit choppy. You guys ever notice that? Like, or if you go to read it out loud, it's, it's not as smooth because it's, it's focusing more on the literal. But it's great for studying. If you want to know what was originally said, boy, a literal translation is one of the best. And so some examples of that are English Standard Version, New American Standard Version, um, uh, Revised Standard Version, King James. Uh, let me just say one, one quick thing. I, I think all the Bible translations are helpful. The New Revised Standard uh, Version, um, they have sought to um, take out all of the references to God as Father and gender and garbage. Okay, so it's garbage. Okay, uh, another way to translate um, a, a Bible is paraphrase or a free translation. Okay, so literal translation is more word for word. Okay, the idea uh, with a paraphrase is more idea for idea. So it's not so much that they're trying to get across the exact wording, how it was, but to get the idea across. All right, so you're going you're gonna to see this in a second. So, um, and then there's the dynamic equivalent. There's no quiz on this, but can you guys see? Word for word, idea for idea, and a dynamic equivalent is more phrase by phrase. And here's the idea on a dynamic equivalent. It wants it to hit you the way it hit the original hearer. Okay, and so I think this is kind of a state-of-the-art way to translate the Bible if you're going to read it for your everyday. So here's an example. So um, in uh, Hebrew poetry, it tried to evoke an emotion when you would read it. And so in Song of Solomon, a literal translation would say, her eyes were doves, okay? Dynamic equivalent, it changes it, so it says, her eyes were soft like doves. Now, soft like was not in the original translation, but that was the original meaning, See what I'm saying? It wasn't the original wording, but it's trying to have it hit you, evoke an emotional response the way it hit the original here. That's dynamic equivalent. Are we good? How many of you feel smarter? How many feel dumber after that? Yeah, sorry, sorry about that. Okay, so, um, okay, let's just compare. Uh, oh, you know what? I didn't give a slide. Do you guys have Ezekiel 2112? Do you guys have that in your thing there? Who's saying yes? What page is that on? So, Clinton, tell me. I can't hear everybody. 
They're not numbered. Oh, <laughs> Who made up these sheets? Oh, I did. Sorry about that. What? Okay, before that chart that has kind of the continuum with all the different things, it's right. Oh, man, we're going for it here. Oh, yeah, there it is right there, I'll say. If you look, uh, um, there's a footnote at the bottom, footnote number six. It's right above that, where it says, uh, yeah, so, okay. This is good. We're almost done here. You guys okay? Okay, so this is an example of different. So um, Ezekiel 21, 12, here is two word-for-word translations. English Standard, cry and wail, son of man, for it is against my people. It is against all the princes of Israel. They are delivered over to the sword of my people. Strike therefore upon your thigh. Okay, let's look at a dynamic equivalent, thought for thought, trying to hit you, okay? Um, Let's look at the New Living Translation. Son of man, cry out and wail. Pound your thighs in anguish, for that sword will swallow my people and their leaders. Everyone will die. Uh, Instead of um, uh, pound your thighs in anguish, uh, uh, um, today's New International Version, the TNIV said, therefore beat your breast. Okay, now, let's look at an idea for idea. So again, they're not trying to get across the exact wording, but what was the idea behind that verse? The Living Bible. Son of dust, with sobbing, beat upon your thigh. That sword shall slay my people and all their leaders, and all alike shall die. The message, yell out and wail, son of man. The sword is against my people. The princes of Israel and my, the, the prince of Israel and my people abandoned to the sword. Wring your hands, tear out your hair. All right, some of you are like, oh, I like that. <laughs> Can you guys see it's the same message, but there's different ways of getting across that message. And I got a little table there that kind of has a continuum of literal, dynamic, free. If you don't know what some of those um, uh, abbreviations stand for, those are abbreviations for different kinds of translations, KJV, King James Version, ASV, American Standard Version. You can just Google it, all right? So which translation should I choose? Uh, I would encourage you to choose a translation that uses modern English, Okay, uh, there's some King James-only people out there. King James is probably the most powerful English document in, uh, in modern history. Um, it has been used. But just, you know, 50% of Americans do not have the literacy ability to comprehend the King James English. So to insist that we, um, you, guys, you shouldn't have to interpret the interpretation. Okay, and then the, yeah, there's just those King James people. They're not a lot of fun. I'm going to be honest. If you're listening, just be honest. You're not a lot of fun at parties, Okay. <laughs> And so um, they argue that the King James is the only word of God. The problem is it's been revised uh, like 60 times since 1611. So it's like, which one of those versions? And there's been more modern, um, some people are getting mad at me here. Uh, There's been a lot of archaeology that's dug up um, uh, actual better uh, manuscripts and it was based on. Okay, so I believe the King James is powerful. Just don't act like the Apostle Paul read from it, okay? What about the people who don't speak English? They have to learn King James English in order to get a Bible, like in Germany. Okay, can you just see? Like, if you love King James, go for it. Just don't act like it's the only thing out there. Are we out? Choose a translation that's based on the standard Hebrew and Greek text. Like I said, the King James and the New King James use an older form of the Greek text. My more modern translations use more of the modern archaeology. Um, give preference to a translation by a committee over a translation by an individual. And uh, choose a translation that's appropriate for your purposes. So if you're studying, use maybe something of a more literal translation. If you're reading, use something more of a dynamic equivalent or pre-paraphrase. All right, let's do the last, um, the last exercise here. 
is we're going to, right here, John 1.18. You guys see that? John 1.18 is a powerful verse in the Bible stating that Jesus has come to show us who God is and to make God known to us. Read the various English translations and observe the different ways they translate and the impact they have on the meeting. Okay, so I give you, I don't know, one, two, three, like a dozen different uh, versions of the Bible reading the exact same verse. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to slow down. I want you to partner with the Holy Spirit in this. I want you to, do you guys see where we're at? It's before what I just said, I think. What's the footnote number on the bottom of the page? Look for the footnote number four at the bottom of the page. It's somewhere on there. Page seven, seven, for those of you who can imagine page numbers where they're supposed to be. So thank you, Fred, for that. I appreciate it. Those of you who can see the page numbers, you are a seer. That's good. All right, so guys, find that exercise. We're going to slow down. We're going to partner with the Holy Spirit. You're going to get ready to, uh, uh, you know, see what sticks out to you. Okay, and I want you to just notice the different ways and maybe circle the one or two translations you like the best. Maybe you're going to want to start reading from those. Okay, uh, let's, let's take uh, five minutes. And let's, let's take four minutes on this. Uh, any questions on the instructions? Anyone upset at me for the King James only comments? Okay, there we go. All right. Guess who gets to practice forgiveness? There we go. And so, um, King, uh, the King James, go for it, do it. Four minutes.
30-second warning. And I'm retracting my statement about King James only people not being fun at parties, so repent for that. All right, take four minutes at your table. What did you observe about the different kinds of translations? What was it that stuck out to you? Anything speak to you? And uh, this will be our wrap-up here. So four minutes, go for it.
30-second warning. Ten second warning. They get louder when you say that. All right, let's bring it together for a wrap up here. If you wanted to do a homework assignment, we, uh, one of those activations we didn't hit, and then uh, learn how to read the Bible without chapters and verses. And so I gave you Second Timothy. I gave you the. Um, the introduction to 2 Timothy and the, um, how to read 2 Timothy. Some of those extra resources that we used last week, they're there again this week. And so um, hope you guys enjoy this and hope you put it into practice and that you, it helps you encounter the Lord. And my conscience is pricking me. I just need to say this. There's a difference between people who enjoy King James the most <laughs> and King James only. King James only is a movement that says if you're not reading King James, you're not reading the Word of God. The Word of God equals King James, and so if you're reading anything else, it's not Scripture. Those people are crazy. Okay, it's just stupid to think that you would have to learn King James English in order to read the Bible if you live in Peru. Okay, and so, um, but if you enjoy King James the most, awesome. Some of my favorite heroes do, so I'm not talking about that. Are we good? Are we good?